children may be dismissed to junior church. And we're going to be going to Genesis 9 here in a moment. Genesis chapter 9. And we're going to look, uh, the flood is over and the world is different. But you will see there is still a sin problem in the world. Sin is, oh, I need to share one other thing. (laughs) Unrelated to the sermon. Come back to the sermon here in just a moment. Uh, I'm going to give Victoria my Sunday school class, not permanently, sorry, Victoria, but one Sunday in probably early August, we'll let you know and let her as well as Craig share more about the trip to Guatemala and also answer any questions about a mission trip. So if any of you want to hear more, we'll let you know when that is. Now back to Genesis chapter nine. (laughs) Um, Sin is like leprosy or or to put it in contemporary terms, it's like cancer. Leprosy is a modern ailment still affecting thousands of people. When you get it, it spreads. The drunk becomes a drunk because he started with his first drink. It spreads. It's like a cancer. And so when the Bible wants to describe sin graphically, it compares sin to a leprous kind of disease. I was watching a show the other day about a guy who went to the hospital and he was in the ER and he thought he just kicked a fence post over and had a little infection on his pinky toe. I don't know if it's called a pinky toe, but you know what I mean. And the infection, he draws a line and the doctor's there with a resident doctor and he says, we'll just watch it and see if it spreads. We'll send him home with some medication, some tetanus tetanus shot and monitor it. They come back in and half the foot is swollen. And because I've watched a lot of shows about snake bites, I thought that looks like a snake bite, a poisonous, poisonous snake bite. But the doctors didn't get it. And uh, they kept thinking, what is going on? They're running all these tests. They're running all the tests. They call the daughter. And the daughter brings the fence post in in a cooler, the piece of the fence post. that It was a broken fence post. It's a wooden fence post. And then the doctor goes over and, and he hears a rattling in the cooler, like a rat, rattle. Not a, not a baby rattle, a serious rattle. And he says, what is that? She said, it's the fence post. Opens it and there's a rattlesnake in there. There's a rattlesnake somehow in or around the fence post that had bit him. And because of that... It was just spreading right up the foot, you know, the, where the infection happened. It was just spreading throughout all. The venom was just spreading, and the effects of the venom was just spreading throughout the whole body. That's how sin works. We think it just affects us. It's just an isolated thing, and it's only a little bitty thing. And we do not see the spiritual ramifications, the evil ramifications, the dangerous ramifications, a family that just affects the whole family and a whole community from sin. Take lying, for example. A preacher tells his congregation, next week I plan to preach about the sin of lying. To help you understand my sermon, he said, I want you to read Mark chapter 17. The following Sunday, the preacher asks, who read it? With every hand going up, everyone said, we read Mark chapter 17. The preacher smiles and says, Mark has only 16 chapters. I will now proceed with my sermon on the sin of lying. Sin. A college with an established football team wanted a mascot, so they decided to get a goat. The question was where to keep the goat. 
to the students offered to keep the goat in their room, in their dorm room. They want to keep a goat in the dorm room. And the head of the sports department got wind of this idea and approached the two students. He said, well, I hear you're going to keep the goat in the dorm room. What about the smell? One of the students replied, the goat will get used to it. (laughs) Although the goat may get used to it, God doesn't. Sin is a violation, a transgression of the law of God. Today we see a passage in which Noah falls into sin. My theme today is sin continues after the flood. Noah and his family still have a sin problem. So do we. So do we today. I was just I'm teaching backgrounds of the Bible in Sunday school, and I was just overviewing the Pentateuch, and towards the end, we had to get to Leviticus. Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, uh, the law of the Levites. Leviticus, Levites. The Levites were the priestly tribe of Israel. Why do we need the Levites? Why did they need the Levites? Because they had a sin problem. Why do we need Jesus? Because we have a sin problem. Levite, Leviticus is really teaching, what are you to do with your sin? When Noah had a sin problem, the flood's over, but Noah and his children and his family and his descendants had a sin problem, and so do we. So let's look at the sin and then the curse on Canaan in verses 18 through 27. It's just a short passage today. We're going to start at verse 18 and 19, uh, Genesis 9, 18 through 19. It says, the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. Notice that little note. Why does he give that little note? You'll find out. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these people, all of the earth were dispersed. This is after the flood. All of the earth would spread out and be dispersed from these three sons of Noah. The sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. There's that special note that Ham, the father of Canaan, and this may have to do with Canaan being the land in which the Israelites were to eventually take place. If you look in the back of your Bible and you look at the maps sometime, you might see the map of the Holy Land and it might say Canaan on there because that was the land that the Israelites were eventually to go in and take possession of. It says the whole earth was populated from these three men in verse 19. And now we see Noah's new work in verse 20. Look at verse 20. Noah began to build, uh, Noah began to be a man of the soil and planted a vineyard. A vineyard. This was an old time radio show. We could maybe imagine some organ music right here going, I'm not going to impersonate the organ music, never mind. But you can imagine, you know, we can know something's going to happen because this vineyard. And in verse 21, we are about to see Noah's drunkenness, his drunkenness. Verse 21, he drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Uncovered, oftentimes in the Bible, when we see uncovered, it's a euphemism. It's a sanitization of what's really going on, which I may come back to in a moment. But first I want to share, we see parallels continue between Noah and Adam. Noah and Adam. Adam, the first human being, Adam and Eve, he was a man of the soil. And now we have Noah being a man of the soil and... Literally, man of the soil is in Hebrew, Adama, Adama. 
And there could be even a little play on words for those that would know Hebrew during that time period. He's a man of the soil and he plants this vineyard and he becomes drunk. It had to have been at least a minimum of two years between the planting of the vineyard and now the drunkenness because it would take at least two years before the, uh, for the grapevines to grow enough for grapes. So Noah now has wine, he gets drunk, and he lays uncovered in his tent. And look at the next two verses, verses 22 and 23. And Ham, the father of Canaan, says that again. Ham, the father of Canaan. It seems like Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit writing this, wants to make it very clear. Ham is the father of Canaan. Canaan, the son of Ham. Canaan, the grandson of Noah. Ham, the father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. He goes out to his two brothers, tells them. Then Shem and Japheth, Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. Now, it's difficult to know what's all going on here. And some of us could think, why is this in the Bible? Have you ever thought that about certain things? Why is this in the Bible? Well, ultimately, that's up to God, not up to us. It's up to God to choose why he puts certain things in the Bible. But as we look at Noah's response here in a few moments, we're going to see a curse on Canaan. Canaan is the land the Israelites were eventually going to take possession of. It seems as though this is here because God is giving the Israelites more history of the land, history of their own background before they enter the promised land. Whenever we read Genesis, remember that God is inspiring Moses to write Genesis and to deliver it to the people of Israel before they take the promised land. Most of these stories in Genesis were likely oral history, passed down from generation to generation until around 1400 B.C., Around 1400 B.C., God leads the Israelites out of Egypt, and Moses puts them in writing. Most of these people are young because uh, most of the people had to die off in the wilderness because they're grumbling and complaining and not trusting in the spies that they could take the promised land. So everybody's under 40 years old except for Moses uh, and Joshua and Caleb at this point, and God is teaching them about their history. So as you read Genesis, this... These people of Israel are reading this, listening to this, learning about their history and the history of the promised land before they go in to take the promised land. And they're learning about the history of Canaan and how did this curse on Canaan come about? And where is their own ancestry? And I think that's a big part of the, of the, of the purpose here. Another thing is the Bible does not gloss over the sins of God's people. I want to hear Charles Stanley say, Men would not write the Bible because it doesn't make us look too good. You ever think about that? Like, who's going to write something that shows your faults and failures and in totality, you know? I, I like that. I've always thought about that. This is showing the truth about sin and its destructiveness, even in, even in Noah. So Ham is specified as the father of Canaan. Now, as I've said, the land of Canaan will be the land that the Israelites will eventually inherit. The people of Canaan will later be corrupted with sexual depravity. The people of Canaan 
will later be corrupted with sexual depravity, and that will eventually even infiltrate the Israelites. So the curse of Canaan even had to do with the sexual depravity that they would even get involved in, and that did come to fulfillment. What was this idea of the nakedness? Oftentimes, uncovered is a euphemism in the Bible. In other words, uncovered would be a word in order to sanitize what was really going on. It is likely that some type of sinful sexual activity is going on here. Or maybe just a sexual act. But Ham, or possibly Ham's son Canaan, saw it and tried to get the brothers to come look as well. Notice how twice it specifies Canaan. And the curse is actually on Canaan. I believe this is actually Canaan, the grandson of Ham, the grandson of Noah, that committed this sinful act. The text says that Ham saw the nakedness, but it could be Canaan. Uh, This is because the text in verse 24 says that Noah cursed his youngest son. His youngest son is not Ham. Ham is the middle child. Poor guy, I'm a middle child. But Canaan was the youngest grandson so far mentioned. So he curses his youngest son, and Canaan is the youngest grandson so far mentioned. The Moody Bible Commentary builds, this, builds on this case. The Moody Bible Commentary makes an interesting point that Canaan was the actual culprit. It reads, the following considerations, on the other hand, clearly support the view that Canaan was the culprit. Canaan, the youngest grandson of Noah, was the culprit. Noah himself identified the culprit as his youngest son, verse 24. And whereas Ham, and whereas Ham was Noah's middle son, Canaan was his youngest grandson. Whether Canaan was the youngest of all Noah's grandchildren, he was the youngest so far mentioned. And hence, the only person with whom the youngest son in verse 24 can be identified. Canaan was the one cursed in the biblical pattern already established in Genesis 3.14 is that the actual culprit is to be cursed. The actual culprit is to be cursed. Also, the sin involves something that the culprit had physically done to Noah in his nakedness. Also, note Leviticus 18 uses the expression to uncover the nakedness of a relative to refer to inappropriate sexual relations. The phrase about seeing the nakedness of his father seems to imply that that a homosexual sin was committed, which is consistent with the same specific perversity by which Canaan's descendants are characterized a few chapters later. Namely, the Sodomites in Genesis 19, 4 through 7, whose exceeding wickedness is already noted in Genesis 13, 13. For these reasons, Canaan's identity as a culprit has long been recognized in Jewish interpretive tradition. So even in Jewish interpretive tradition, there's a thought that this was actually Canaan that did it for mainly those three reasons. Canaan is one specified, and the culprit is usually the one given a curse in Genesis. Also, Canaan is the youngest grandson so far mentioned, and we also see the sexual depravity of the Canaanites later. So Noah awakes, and he's aware of what Ham, his youngest son, it says youngest son, again, had done. But remember, Ham is not his youngest son. Ham is the middle son, as I'm belaboring. Now, if this is the case, why would he say Ham in verse 22? Maybe it is because Ham is Canaan's father and they are being identified together. And we do see that in the Bible where within sin, whole people groups are identified together as a community in whatever sin is going on. Either way, some type of sexual act was viewed or committed 
and Canaan is cursed. Look at verses 24 through 27. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, cursed be Canaan. Now, I also want to say, oftentimes in biblical history, we do see people identify their grandchildren and so on as their son. And sometimes we even hear that today where, you know, within family relations that happens. So he says, cursed be Canaan. That's his grandson. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. So curse on, there's a curse on Canaan, the son of Ham. Uh, he curses the son of Ham and he will be a servant of his brothers. That's the descendants of Shem and Japheth. And then there's blessing, there's blessing on the Lord, the God of Shem. Canaan, son of Ham, shall be his servant. The Israelites would come from Shem. People will ask, where did the Israelites come from? The Israelites would come from Shem. In fact, in the next chapter in Genesis 11, we see the descendants of Shem as they go to Abraham. So God is inspiring Moses to show the Israelites where they came from. And they go back to Shem prior to Abraham. Uh, a very good commentary. Uh, Killen Dillich says, it says, servant of servants, the lowest of slaves is what that means. Let him become to his brethren. Although this curse was expressly pronounced upon Canaan alone, the fact that Ham had no share in Noah's blessing, either for himself or his other sons, was a sufficient proof that his whole family was included by implication in the curse. So there is an idea. Maybe, maybe it was Ham and Canaan included. And then we see the curse on Canaan specifically. History confirms this supposition that this affected all of Canaan and his descendants. Listen to this. The Canaanites, the Canaanites were partly exterminated and partly subjected to the lowest form of slavery by the Israelites who belonged to the family of Shem. And those who still remained were, were reduced by Solomon to the same condition. The Phoenicians, later on the Phoenicians, along with their Carthaginians, 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 and the Egyptians, who all belonged to the family of Canaan, were subjected by the Japhetic, Persians, Macedonians, and Romans, and the remainder of the Hamitic tribes either shared the same fate. So historically, we can track this down over the next several hundred and even, even 2,000 plus years to see this actually come to fulfillment to this day. Historically, we can go back through history and see this come to pass to this day. There's blessings on Japheth. They will dwell in the tents of Shem, uh, Canaan's son of Ham, to be a servant. Uh, one person writes, there's no basis for the popular notion that this oracle doomed the Hamites, who were mainly Africans, to a position of inferiority or slavery among the other peoples of the world. Canaan and his branch of the family are the subject of this prophecy, not Ham at all in his descendants. There are, this is important, there are no grounds in our passage for an ethnic reading of the curse, as some have done, supposing that some peoples are inferior to others. Here, Genesis looks only to the social and religious life of Israel's ancient rival Canaan, whose immorality defiled their land and threatened Israel's religious fidelity. Now, why is that important? Because some take this curse and misinterpret it and think that this applies to Africans and they use that to justify slavery, which is totally wrong. And that's what that is saying. This only is a curse on Canaan who went in to be the Middle East area where the Israelites would eventually go in and take possession of. 
This was not an issue of ethnicity, but of the wicked practices that characterized the Canaanite culture. And if you study the Canaanite culture and what became of the Canaanite culture prior to when the Israelites went in and took possession of the land, they were corrupted in extreme sexual perversions. Pedophilia, temple prostitution, child sacrifice, including sexual acts, which is why I believe God had the Israelites go in and take possession of it. So now we see Noah's final days in verses 20 and 29. Noah lived 350 years after the flood. Look at these verses. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. 950 years of life and he died. Noah's 950 years mark him as the third oldest human in biblical history. Behind Methuselah, who lived 969 years, and Jared, 962 years. Let's look at some applications before we close. In verse 21, Noah fell into sin. We must always guard ourselves against sin. We must always guard ourselves against sin. An evangelist had to travel often to preach. On one trip, he arrived at his hotel and proceeded to go to his room, which was on the fifth floor. The man got on the elevator and a lady came on and this lady was carrying a lot of baggage. She had a lot of baggage with her. She noticed that he had pressed the button for the fifth floor and she told him that she was going to the same floor. The evangelist, being a gentleman at heart, offered to help her since they were going to the same floor anyway. And because she was so weighed down by her baggage, they arrived at the floor. He helps her walk to her room. Now he's alone. His wife is not with him. Uh, she has no one else with her. They're just an evangelist, one man and one woman. And she says, won't you come in for a while? Won't you come in for a while? And it would have been a one adult man with one adult woman, unmarried together in a hotel room alone. The minister politely declined and hurried to his room. When retelling the story to a close friend, his friend said, so you were obedient to the word in fleeing immorality because of your fear of God. The evangelist replied, no, I think I was fleeing immorality out of the fear of my wife. <laughs> we must guard against sin and take precautions. Don't put ourselves alone in a hotel room with a woman or a man of the, you know, somebody of the opposite sex. We must pray, lead us not into temptation, Matthew 6, 13. We must pray that we do not, do not give the devil a foothold, Ephesians 4, 27. We must pray that we do not even give the appearance of sin, 1 Thessalonians 5, 22. We must guard that we are not drunk, Ephesians 4, 20, Ephesians 5, 18. We must guard against other sins as well. Maybe drunkenness is not something you must guard against. Guard against something else, whatever it is, pornography, lust, envy, pride, jealousy. We must have an active relationship with God in order to enable us to stay away from sin. Don't try to fight sin on your own. Live in a relationship with God. He's the vine, we are the branches. Live in a relationship with the body of Christ. Proverbs 27 17 is iron, sharpens iron, so one sharpens another. We need to be bound together with prayer partners and accountability partners supporting each other. Sickness often doesn't happen suddenly, does it? A person may feel a little tired one day and then notice a tickle in the throat the next. Many people ignore sickness at this stage because it doesn't bother them that much. 
or interrupt their life enough for them to take notice. They aren't rushed to take vitamin C, not yet. It's just a little sniffle, a little tickle in the throat. They won't head to the pharmacy, not yet. They will go on with business as usual. But very suddenly, something that is insignificant can become significant. Sickness can dominate, knock a person down, and then knock them out. What starts out as a tickle can become a full-blown virus. And so it is with sin. We think, I got it under control. I'm good. I don't need to talk to the pastor or a prayer partner or somebody at church or a counselor. I don't need to go get support for whatever I'm dealing with. I got it under control. But that sin can rapidly spread like cancer. And it's not isolated. Sins are not isolated. They affect our whole family. Whether you realize it or not, our children or grandchildren. And that applies to sins of commission, which are things you do, whether it's lusting or envy or saying mean things or, you know, blowing up at a family member and throwing them out of the house, whatever it might be inappropriately. But it also applies to sins of omission, things we're not doing. If you're a Christian and you're not in the Word of God, in the Bible, in, a, in prayer, you're starving yourself spiritually. You're starving yourself and your whole family too. We just watched a show called um, Band of Brothers based on true stories about World War II where they entered the, and showing uh, the Allied advance and they find these concentration camps. It's unbelievable. They just cannot believe how malnourished and everything. And, and they start feeding them. They start feeding them. And then a doctor, one of our military doctors came in and said, you gotta stop. They're, so, they're gonna kill themselves by eating at this point. They're so malnourished. Some Christians are that way. We're so malnourished. And you need fed with the word of God. You need fed with the people of God. Those are sins of omission, not being in a vibrant relationship with God. I was talking with somebody yesterday, and I really do believe the Holy Spirit gave me something to share. I said, you know, you spend a lot of time, and I'm applying it to all of us here too. I said, you know, you spend a lot, you're, you're, you're going these places and you're missing church on Sundays. You're, 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 your idea is noble. You want to spend more time with your kids, with your grandkids. And so you're not, you're not around the church family. And it's good to spend time with your kids and with your grandkids. But someday, 10, 15, 20 years, maybe 30, maybe 40, this person's around 60 years old. Someday God's going to call you home. And a pastor, maybe me, maybe someone else is going to sit with your family. Your children, your grandchildren, maybe your great-grandchildren. And that pastor is going to say, tell me about your grandpa. Tell me about your dad. Tell me some good memories to share at the celebration of life and funeral service. What do you want them to talk about? Now, many of us would say, talk about my love for my children, my grandchildren, for family. Of course, that's good. That's noble. But do you want them to say, man, grandpa really loved going camping on the weekends. Grandpa really loved playing golf. Grandpa really loved fishing, hunting. Or do you want them to say, Grandpa loved the Lord. And because of Grandpa's love for the Lord, we love the Lord too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that it's said of us that we love you. We love you, Lord. We have a desire for you, Lord. We have a 
passion for you, Lord. We, we have a security in you. Psalm 1611, Psalm 1611, you make known to us the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. Your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You and you alone, Lord God. No one else and nothing else. You alone make known to us the path of life. And you alone, Lord God, is fullness of joy. Your right hand, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. John 14, 6. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to Father except by you. John 14, 27. Your peace you leave to us. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You came to give us life and give it to us abundantly. Lord, don't let us trifle with sin. Help us to be a people of repentance, a people that takes sin seriously, a people that cuts it off at the root, but a people that we don't do that on our own. We do that because we have the water from the well that never runs dry. We do that because we are nourished, constantly nourished by you and our relationship with you. Lord God, I strongly believe we all struggle with this sometimes, myself included. But I strongly believe that some are here who have fallen far away from you. They backslidden. They don't have a vibrant relationship with you. They're not in your word. They maybe said a sinner's prayer at some point. They maybe say it every day, but they aren't in a relationship with you. They're not being fed by your word. They're malnourished spiritually. They're not involved with the church, maybe every other Sunday, maybe once a month. Maybe it's even a joke that they come once a month. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would convict all of us of anything we need to repent of. And people hiding sin of commission, lust, envy, jealousy, whatever, or or omission, being negligent in spiritual practices, negligent in time with the church, neglig- they're not spending time with you. I pray, Lord, that you would convict them to repent and turn back to you. Lord, if there's some here who have never turned to you the first time, may today be the day to confess they are a sinner in need of a savior, believe in you as the one and only savior, trust in you and commit to you, to firmly make the decision to be with you in order to become like you, to learn and do all that you say and arrange their affairs around you. And may we all, Lord, arrange our affairs around you. We mess up, we fail, we struggle. But may we be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. May we repent. And we know you are a loving Father and you cleanse us of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. The altars are always open as we sing this closing song. If the Holy Spirit has convicted you of anything, maybe something you need to repent of, don't ignore the Holy Spirit. Angels in heaven rejoice. Of, there's more rejoicing in heaven of one sinner who repents. There's a worship service in heaven. Come forward. But maybe you just want to pray for a family member going through sickness or illness. I shouldn't say just. That's very, very important. Or maybe you need to pray about a job situation or, or a fear you have or an anxiety or worry or anything. Come forward and pray. And Bill or Tim and others... Um, uh, we'll be glad. Elda you sh- uh, comes up too. Be glad to come and pray with you as well.